Cryptid Queens. Hey everyone, this is Alex, one half of Cryptid Queens, and today I'm doing a solo episode. Caitlin is busy planning her wedding and getting ready for it. It's in about a month. I just decided to take over and talk about a few topics and tell a few stories that didn't really fit anywhere else in the podcast. They are probably going to be in places that we've already covered, in places that we haven't covered, and I'm going to go into this with kind of a ever-evolving mindset. I'll see how this episode does, and if you guys would rather hear something either more true crime related, more cryptid related, um, I'm just going to figure it out as I go. And it's really weird talking to myself. <laughs> so without further ado, I'm just going to get into what we're covering today. I decided to cover a story that I've been really interested in for a long time. It takes place in the UK. Bedtime Stories, the podcast that I talk about so often and that I listen to religiously, also did a episode on this topic. I also got a lot of my information from burialsandbeyond.com, bunch of information from Wikipedia, a WordPress post by the Urban Prehistorian, horroroasis.com, and then a website called ianjarviswriter.com. So I assume that that's just his website for his byline stuff. So I'm doing the story of the Hexam Heads. And the story goes like this. Two young boys named Colin and Leslie Robson were playing in their garden one sunny afternoon at their home, 3 Reed Avenue, in an old monastery town called Hexham in northern England. It's actually very close to the border of Scotland. They were digging around in the dirt when they suddenly came across a pair of small stones in the shape of human heads both around 2.5 inches or 6 centimeters. The heads appeared to be made from stone and very rudimentary in design. So very, very simplistic. They were spherical with stumpy little necks, as though they were once connected to something larger. The heads seemed to have been molded to have very distinct facial features, one with a relaxed expression was to become known as the boy, with hair molded in stripes running from front to back. The other, which was dubbed as the girl, the old woman or hag, whose characteristics include wildly bulging eyes and a strong beaked nose, was the second head. Assuming they just found hidden treasure. You know, I would probably be really stoked if I was a young kid and I found something like that too in my backyard. They brought them back into their house and kept them safe in their room. Not too long after their discovery, though, strange phenomena started to occur. As the story goes, quote, they perceived a change in the environment of their home. It was an indescribable feeling of disturbance, as if something very bad was happening. Objects suddenly rushed to the ground with no one responsible for moving them. Shelves simply seemed to reject vases, portraits, and books. A phone was constantly threatening to fall to the ground until the cable was torn off the wall. A lock broke in two after the door slammed hard. The walls began to crack and the pictures to twist. 
One night, the Robsons woke to the sound of a crashing glass. For no apparent reason, the living room window had simply exploded, throwing splinters of glass everywhere. Even more strange was the fact that at the exact site where the stone heads were found, all kinds of harmful grass and spiny ivy began to grow, and insect pests devastated the garden. But the most annoying thing was a constant stench a smell of wild animal urine that permeated every corner of the house. The heads were reported to move on their own, and bottles would be violently thrown across rooms. More terrifyingly, there were claims of one boy's hair being pulled during the night while shattered glass was found in the sisters' beds. This same night, Mrs. Rodson claimed to have seen a half-man, half-goat figure leaving the house shortly afterwards. In addition to this poltergeist activity in the Rodson's home and this witness of some type of were-creature, the Dodd family who lived next door also started to report strange phenomena. Ellen Dodd, who was the mother, her small son exhibited bite marks as if a, quote, large dog had savaged him, and there was a wet dog stink in the house. Ellen felt an unseen presence knock her to the ground and felt thick fur rubbing against her skin. Later, she and her daughter were up late when both witnessed a half-man, half-wolf, or possibly half-man, half-sheep. The pair screamed, but the creature seemed oblivious to them and left the room. They heard it, quote, patting down the stairs on its hind legs, and the front door was found wide open. They said it seemed like the creature was searching for something, and had left the house to continue elsewhere. One day, the Robson children returned home from school to find the werewolf creature in their lounge. They raced out terrified, and a group of men ran in to find nothing. The family had experienced enough, and the heads were sent to Newcastle University, whilst a Catholic priest was brought in to bless the house in Reed Avenue. Sightings of strange wolf creatures were nothing new to the people of Hexham, however. They suffered the wrath of the Hexham wolf in 1904. Although swiftly mythologized, the incident involved an escaped wolf from a nearby zoo who killed livestock before being hit by a passing train. Naturally, many believed the wolf to still be at large and to have taken some magical and ancient revenge in the 1970s, summoned by the Head's powers. After a few other strange events, the Head's ended up in the local paper with a photo of the boys posing with their treasure. This caught the attention of many anthropological specialists, but there was much struggle to actually date these heads. Not only this, but archaeologists and even geologists struggled to source the material that was used to make these heads. Some said it was sandstone, while others couldn't even create a conclusion. Nonetheless, the discovery was regarded as having immense historical importance. Eventually, a woman named Dr. Anne Cross, who specialized in Celtic artifacts, concluded that the heads appeared to have vague similarities with several Celtic heads of antiquity. Not only this, but she noted that this wasn't the only time that stone heads and carvings had been dug up on properties around the UK. One of the most well-known carved heads from Celtic history is the Corlock Hill Stonehead. And this stonehead was on display at the National Museum of Dublin. And this piece of history comes from the Iron Age, which was between the 1st and 2nd centuries AD. Three faces are carved into this single stone, perhaps representing three deities or a single deity with three aspects. 
There are also several legends of beheadings in battle and reuniting heads with the body. These types of beheadings weren't all about war trophies, but also about returning loved ones' heads to families awaiting their return from battle. While the heads were in her possession, she reported to have woken up one morning and saw a part wolf, part man figure leaving her bedroom. Following it through the house, she's very brave, (laughs) she tracked it to the kitchen after which it disappeared. She said, quote, it was about six feet high, slightly stooping, and it was black against the white door, and it was half animal and half man. The upper part was a wolf and the lower part a human. I would have said that it was covered with a kind of black, very dark fur. It went out and I just saw it clearly and then it disappeared, and something made me run after it, a thing I wouldn't normally have done, but I felt compelled to. I got out of bed and I ran and I could hear it go down the stairs, then it disappeared towards the back of the house. Living in Southampton, Dr. Cross knew nothing of the Allendale legend and the association of the Hexham heads with the possible return of this werewolf. Shortly afterwards, her daughter Bernice recounted a similar experience. After coming home from school, she saw a werewolf-esque creature leap from the stairs and into a corridor before disappearing completely. She also reported to have experienced other phenomena, such as her study door flying open with no apparent cause, the appearance of a dark figure, and the frequent sensation of a cold figure beside her. Dr. Cross had heard of the Dodds' experience and subsequently attributed these frightening instances to the supernatural influence of the Hexham Heads. The creature was seen several times more by other people in her house and convinced the Stoneheads to be responsible for these horrific events. The Hexham Heads soon found their way back to Newcastle University and were kept in their museum. Again, odd things happened here, but the werewolf was never spotted again. With the story of the Heads becoming more sinister, a man named Desmond Craigie reported that he was in fact the creator, carving them in 1956 for his daughter. He explained that he used to live at Three Reed Avenue and that the heads must have been buried during his time there. He also claimed there was a third head that was subsequently damaged and thrown away. He was working at a business that dealt in concrete at the time and used his, quote, local stone, sand, and water to craft the little faces. However, Craigie's claims were tested when he was asked to replicate his methods. The heads he replicated were subpar at best, and Craigie was scrutinized as a result of his claims. Later, a professor also stated that the original heads were molded rather than carved from individual rocks. Unfortunately, after Dr. Cross began to report her experiences, as well as Mr. Craigie's claims that he was the creator of these heads, she was promptly criticized and her credibility came into question. But... Many still believe that these heads belong to a Celtic shrine, summoning poltergeists and strange creatures if ever disturbed. After being passed from expert to expert, the heads fell into the hands of Southampton University and then onto a psychic in 1978. They were then promptly lost thereafter. The exact location and guardian of the heads today is unknown. So, what do you guys think? I think the fact that these sightings of the werewolf or the were-creature happened in such a small period of time during when these Hexham heads appeared is very intriguing, and I think it's very compelling. But logic tells you that Mr. Craigie did create these heads. But Cryptid Queen sometimes questions logic. (laughs) 
And I'm curious to hear what you guys think about it. I will post a bunch of pictures of the Hexam heads on Instagram, and I would love for you guys to share your opinions. I know that this was a short episode, but I am doing this solo, and it's kind of hard to cover such a awesome topic, but not be able to talk to anyone about it. <laughs> so I hope you guys have a spooky week. That's not too spooky, but just spooky enough. And keep your eyes peeled, queens. Hopefully you don't find any buried heads in your backyard made of stone or otherwise. Bye.